I want to invite you to turn with me in your copy of God's Word to Matthew chapter 13 as we continue uh, the chapter on the parables. We will be continuing at verse 24, reading through the end of the chapter. Let us turn our attention to what the words of our Lord, recorded by the Apostle under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit are. We read, He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? He said to them, An enemy has done this. So the servants said to him, Then do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, No, lest in gathering the weeds you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at harvest time I will tell the reapers, Gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn." He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven, that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till till it was all leavened. All these things Jesus said to the crowds in parables. Indeed, he said nothing to them without a parable. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter what has been hidden since the foundation of the world. Then he left the crowds and went into the house. And his disciples came to him saying, explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. He answered, the one who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world and the good seed is the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age and the reapers are angels. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so will it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers, and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, 
who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and gathered fish of every kind. When it was full, men drew it ashore and sat down and sorted the good into containers but threw away the bad. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Have you understood all these things? They said to him, yes. And he said to them, therefore every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who brings out of his treasure what is new and what is old. And when Jesus had finished these parables, he went away from there. And coming to his hometown, he taught them in their synagogue, so that they were astonished and said, Where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? Is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? And are not his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? And are not all his sisters with us? Where then did this man get all these things? And they took offense at him. But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor, except in his hometown and in his own household. And he did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the living God. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Let us pray. Almighty God, we thank you for this passage, for this chapter which collects and presents a number of the parables of our Lord and teaches us about the kingdom. Grant that even in this time we would hear his voice. For Christ's sake, we pray it. Amen. All right, brothers and sisters, as we have been in this chapter now for a, for a few weeks, we looked first uh, at verses 1 through 23, the parable of the sower, and we presented some of the, the, the intricacies of parables and some of the keys for proper interpretation of parables, and then we looked at the parable of the sower itself, which is presented in the Synoptic Gospels kind of as, as a parable to help explain other parables. And now we see that the other parables that Matthew has collected and presented in chapter 13 are all aimed to help elaborate on the themes introduced in the first parable and to help his disciples understand more truth about the nature of the kingdom. The end of chapter 13 concludes a section on rising uh, opposition, rising hostility that began back in chapter 11. You may begin, you may recall that at the beginning of chapter 11, we saw that Jesus was, was denouncing some of the places where he had performed mighty works because by and large, they had not repented. And now how that opposite or that lack of response had calcified into the 
outright hostility on the part of the religious leaders. And now at the end of chapter 13, you see most emphatically the whole town of his, of his upbringing, his hometown of Nazareth, they reject him. They take great offense at him, and they reject him. How could that be? You might think that people who knew him, who were familiar with him, who, who had recalled his boyhood, his teenage years, that they would be the most inclined to receive him favorably. But au contraire, his familiarity proved to be the stumbling block to their belief. And in the in between this opening section in chapter 11 and this closing episode in chapter 13, we have Jesus teach on the nature of the kingdom and the nature of the mixed response to it. And so these parables in chapter 13 help explain why so many people respond the way they do. And it helps steal his disciples for the long road ahead. It is truly astonishing how varied human responses to the gospel. Oftentimes we, we believe and we, we know having experienced grace that the gospel is liberating and life-giving. How could you not find it appealing? And, and we can become shocked when others respond negatively. Perhaps most famously, Martin Luther, he was convinced that the reason the Jews hadn't converted were because of the, the onerous legalisms of, of the Roman church, and he was, he was just sure that when the Jewish community got a hold of the, the free gospel of grace that he was preaching, that they would convert in mass. And that didn't happen, did it? And when it failed to happen, he was flabbergasted. And unfortunately, his, his shock and disappointment calcified in, into bitterness and spite. We are on a mission in this world. And in this world, Jesus has told us we will have trouble. And we have been commissioned to be his emissaries in this age. We are a nation of priests. And our, our task is to bring people to God. And, and sometimes they will respond favorably and other times they won't. But one, we must resist turning out like Luther. Having our heart hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. We must not lose hope in the face of opposition and difficulty. But finally, we must ourselves pray for the Lord to sustain us. As we proceed through this world, we do so with an eye to the future. A true believer can be a man or a woman who is busy with today. But a true believer's principal concern is not simply the affairs of today. 
A true believer always keeps an eye to the horizon. If you live and breathe and think only the now, you will indeed run the risk of running out of hope, running out of perseverance. Our Lord has instituted our faith to be a forward-looking hope. And you see that in this chapter. How so? Note the eschatological focus of all these parables. In this chapter, Jesus presents eight parables. Some want to deny that the concluding parable is a parable, but he seems to treat it like a parable when he, when he says that, that everyone trained is like a master of the house, and he presents another word picture just like before. And then in verse 53, when Jesus had finished these parables, so Matthew seems to present the explanatory concluding comment as one of the parables. And so there are eight parables. And they're presented, four of them, to the public. The sower, the weeds, the mustard seed, and the leaven. And after those four parables, Jesus withdraws into private, in which location he then explains the parable of the weeds, and it's probable at that time is when he explained to them the sower because it's presented as he explained it later. But then he also fast hits them with the parable of the hidden treasure and of the pearl of great price and of the master, the scribe who becomes like a master of a house. And all of these orient us to the future. These eight parables divided into the public and the private are given to us so that we might better understand the nature of the kingdom and of human response to its presence and that we might indeed hold on in faith and obedience. What do I mean? Well, the first two parables are a couplet. The parable of the sower and the parable of the weeds. These first two parables are the only two parables that Jesus explains. And, and by way of reminder about the importance of being sensitive to the language of parables and taking your interpretive cue from the words of Jesus, understand and take note of the fact that in the first parable, the parable of the sower, the seed is explained to be the gospel, the word of the kingdom. In the second parable, the parable of the weeds, the seed is explained to be something very different. Instead of it being a message, the seed in the second parable are the sons of the kingdom. It's people. So understand, you don't take some carte blanche image and apply it to all. Let each parable stand on its own two legs, even when they fit together to paint a picture. And these two parables together describe and present this mystery. That the kingdom has arrived. 
but it has not arrived in its full, glorious, flowering splendor of power. And that even as the kingdom has arrived, evil has not been eradicated. Indeed, evil seems to coexist. What's more, the parable of the weed presents the the uncomfortable picture that as the kingdom grows, so too does Satan's kingdom. How is that possible? How do we, how do we proceed? In, in fact, given that the parable of the sower, which we talked about for the last two weeks, the parable of the sower demonstrates that it's possible to have a superficial response to Jesus that, that ultimately doesn't, doesn't save. And given that the parable of the weeds has the wicked and the righteous together, on one level, how do we know who is a believer and who isn't? How? It's all about perseverance. Note this image in the parable of the weeds. In the explanation of it, in verse 38, Jesus says that the field is the world. Okay? Not the church. That has caused some consternation throughout church history, but the field is the world. But then... In verse 41, Jesus describes it as the kingdom. So is the field the world or is the field the kingdom? And I say to you, what you're seeing Jesus articulate here is that which was announced to Daniel In chapter 7, here's what Daniel saw. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man, and he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom, and all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him, His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom is one that shall not be destroyed. That's what Daniel sees. And so people for millennia were were expecting that to just pop onto the scene and to be the case. But here comes Jesus. The kingdom of God suffers violence and violent men are attacking it. And well, uh, what do we make of this? And now you have Jesus giving a parable that the sons of the kingdom are, are scattered and planted in the world. And that at the end of the age, when the day of judgment comes, now this world has become his kingdom. Which is precisely then what you see in Revelation chapter 11, verse 15, in which we read, Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, 
The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. And he shall reign forever and ever. So what we see in this passage is this idea that in this present age, the gospel is proclaimed that the sons of the kingdom have been strategically planted by the Lord. And the devil has his people too. And they will coexist. It's impossible to make an all-pure church, to have a society free from the influence of evil. It just is. Some, like Augustine, have erred. Augustine used this passage to argue against the rest of Scripture and say that you should not do church discipline. That Augustine said that in this passage, the Lord shows the futility of church discipline. Never mind that in a few chapters, Jesus institutes church discipline. But others have erred on the opposite side of trying so scrupulously that they've caused great harm. But what the faithful are called to do is recognize that in a world in which good and evil exist side by side, and it oftentimes looks like the evil is growing around us, know, too, that the kingdom of God is advancing still. And at the end of the age is when it all is sorted out. But how does the kingdom grow? How does it grow so that it fills the earth? Well, that's what the second two parables of this passage are teaching. Still public, he in verses 31 and 32 gives the parable of the mustard seed. And famously, you have silly skeptics who try to deny the the inerrancy of Scripture because Jesus refers to it as the smallest of all seeds. And as a point of fact, it's not. He's speaking in the vernacular, right? We speak of the biggest, the best, all the time, okay? A mustard seed is really stinking small. And it's among the smallest, if not the smallest, that anyone would, would actually have been using in that day and age. So, when you hear people talking like that, they're just being, they're being, that, that's, that's their re- rebellion coming out. But he gives the parable of the mustard seed, and then he gives the parable right after it of the, the leaven. And both parables are the same. Different pictures, same truth. First, the kingdom begins small and unimpressive but it grows to be huge. Small, unimpressive seed, small, unimpressive leaven. When it says three measures, that's about 50 pounds of flour. So you know there's a a lot of leaven going in, relatively speaking, but it's still a small percentage of the whole. So the kingdom starts out small and unimpressive, but it grows to be huge. And, And this... In God's wisdom, how the church grows, how it begins, and how it culminates is 
is in keeping with what God revealed first to Nebuchadnezzar and then explained to Nebuchadnezzar through Daniel in Daniel chapter 2. Do, do you remember in Daniel chapter 2, Nebuchadnezzar is, he's, he, he realizes his men are a bunch of shysters and he's like, I had a dream and y'all are going to tell me what the dream is or I'm going to kill all of you. And they're like, no one can tell you what the dream is. You got to throw us a bone. You got to tell us what the dream was and then we'll tell you what it means. No, you tell me what I dreamt. He was playing hardball. But then the Lord gives Daniel insight. And, and the dream that Nebuchadnezzar dreamed, if you recall it, was this image of a statue. And the various portions represented different kingdoms. And, and they were represented by differing metals. There was the, the gold, the bronze, the silver, the iron. And each part of the image represented a different world power that would come onto the scene. But then finally, the image is standing there. And then he sees this, this rock not cut by human hands. And it flies from out of nowhere. And it smashes the image on the feet. And the whole thing crumbles to dust. And the wind blows it away so that it says not a trace of them was left. And this rock that had he struck it, she grew and grew and became a mountain that fills the whole earth. So when Jesus here announces the arrival and, and reveals the growth path and pattern for the church, it's in keeping with what he, through his spirit, had revealed to Daniel hundreds and hundreds of years before. Small, unimpressive beginning, mighty, magnificent result. But, but there's more to it than that. You see, you, you take a seed, you plant it, it, it sprouts, it grows, it buds, it produces fruit. The, you, you put leaven, you put yeast, yeast is the most common leavening agent we use in our cooking, you put yeast into some sort of flour, and it does its thing. It has its chemical reactions, and, and it causes it to fluff up and grow. There is an organic connection to the thing at the beginning with the thing at the end. And a lot of times people forget this. They act like the word was sufficient at the inauguration of the kingdom. That the preaching of the word that the Lord Jesus instituted was sufficient at the beginning. But now some other means must be employed. Or that the kingdom itself takes on a different form. So for example, at some point in the, the church's history, it was the, the mission of the church got, got sideways and it became it became common to think that the principal way of spreading and enforcing the, the doctrine of the kingdom was through the strong arm of the law. And humans cannot be compelled by the law to believe in the gospel. Our Lord Jesus has instituted an organic connection between the beginnings and the endings. And the means of growth 
are his appointed means which have not changed. So even as we consider the unimpressive beginnings and contrast it with the mighty endings, we we are called to remember the means he has appointed. Faithfully praying, faithfully preaching, faithfully serving, faithfully laying down our lives for the cause of Christ. And that seems inexplicable. It seems counterintuitive. That, is, that doesn't work. It's exactly how it works. But third, as it grows, the kingdom affects everything. The seed, as it grows and becomes a bush, becomes an attractant to the, to the birds of the air and other things that seek shelter and This flower that's big and it's a voluminous, a large quantity, as it touches the leaven, it's changed. And as it's changed and touches other flower, it too is changed. And as that flower is changed, it's changed. So we see that as the kingdom grows, it changes everything. As it impacts the world, first having impacted lives, Of individuals. So we see that the means that Christ has instituted haven't changed. But as the church grows, our Lord has indicated that it will affect the world around us. But that's not the same thing as people having come to know Jesus in a saving way. But nonetheless, this kingdom is precious. So precious, in fact, that That's what the next two parables are all about. The parable of the hidden treasure and the pearl of great value. The the hidden treasures in verse 44 and the pearl of great values in 45 and 46. And they both strike at the same truth from the opposite way. In In the great treasure, it's some guy out thinking about buying a piece of land. And and people get turned sideways. Okay, if you're walking through a house to buy it and you go up into the attic and you discover a, a, a box full of money, you're, you're going to get in trouble if you, if you think that you're just going to buy the house and keep the cash. That's not how our system works. But he's making a point here. He's walking through a field, not looking for treasure, but he finds it. And at that moment, he immediately recognizes its value. So he puts it back, goes, sells everything he has, and he buys the field so he can take possession of the treasure. In the pearl of great price, you have just the opposite occurring. You have have a merchant. Someone who has studied in the art of of studying pearls. And he's looking for something exquisite. And he's searching high and low for for just the most wondrous pearl. And and finally, after all this searching, he finds the thing he's been looking for. And he's thrilled and he immediately goes, sells all he has to buy the pearl. So too is it with how people come to the kingdom. Sometimes... They stumble upon it. They're not looking. 
They're not looking for Jesus. They're, they're not on a spiritual quest. Sometimes they don't even know they're spiritually needy, and all of a sudden something happens, and, and they're confronted with it. Other times, people are filled with angst and anxiety, and, and, and they're looking for answers. And they find it. And Jesus' point here is this. However it is that someone comes in contact with the gospel, with the kingdom, the point is that the kingdom is so precious that it doesn't matter the reason you found it. You found it. And it's worth your everything. It's worth your all. Sell whatever you have to do. Do what you've got to do to take possession of the kingdom. And then he culminates with the parable of the net. Because in such a situation as people coming to the kingdom having either stumbled or studied, nonetheless we hearken back to the same theme that is the parable of the weeds. And in fact, to underscore that this is the same parable as the parable of the weeds, understand that the culminating verse of the parable of the net in verse 50 is word for word identical to the culminating verse of the parable of the weeds in verse 42. And that is, the kingdom will get lots of response. But in the end, the good will be separated from the bad, the bad will be destroyed, and the good will inherit glory. And then he asks them, do you understand all this? And they say yes. I'm skeptical if they really did. But they said yes, which is what's recorded. And then he replies to them with a final parable that illustrates the effect of having come into awareness of the truths about the kingdom. He likens them to the master of a house who brings out treasures from his house Old and new. And, and the bringing out is the word translated bringing out has the idea of sharing. And so commentators are agreed across the board that what he, Jesus is saying is that now that you have been discipled, taught the things of the kingdom, you, you have an obligation. He's laying on them an assignment to, to bring forth from, from the repository of knowledge they have from the old covenant and the new things of benefit for the world. In other words, you have the responsibility now that you have been enlightened to share what you have discovered with others. This is a verse, this is a Lord's army verse where we are commissioned to go forth proclaiming his excellencies and the good news of the kingdom. This is priesthood of all believers. We are a holy nation type language here. And so, in these episodes of these parables, what we see Jesus doing is orienting us to the future. The judgment day is the day when evil finally goes away. The judgment day is when we finally are free of evil. The judgment day is when we finally have our faith perfected. But the kingdom will grow. Though some re respond negatively, people will respond positively. 
We will grow even as the kingdom grows. So we can face the fiery darts of the evil one with confidence. But the reminder that all is revealed in the final day is yet the continual prod for us to with great humility work out our salvation with fear and trembling, petitioning the Father to preserve us by his spirit because of his son, lest we prove in the final analysis to fall away and thus demonstrate that we indeed were among the weeds. So the mystery of the kingdom is revealed in these parables. He who has ears, let him hear. Let us pray. Almighty God, we thank you so much for sending your son and for presenting truths in parable form. Grant that we would be among those who can discern and respond. Thank you for the confidence that we have that your kingdom will prevail, that evil will be destroyed. Help us to hold on in faith even as we face rejection as Jesus did in his own hometown, as we face opposition, as we face intense persecution even as John the Baptist did in the very next chapter. God grant that we would look forward to the return of our Lord and the making all things right. It's in his name we pray. Amen.